Um, let's, let's ask God uh, to help us as we come to his word now. Let me pray for us as we look to Genesis 18. Father, we, we know that you are the God of all circumstances, that you know everything that goes on. Um, you have a perfect plan and a perfect will, which you want to trust. Um, so even though uh, we, we're preaching and, and hearing your word being preached in um, slightly different circumstances, Father, we pray that your spirit would be at work now, that you would show us more of yourself uh, through this wonderful um, scene with Abraham and these three visitors. Father, help us to know more of you this afternoon, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, I think Alice has just read this passage for you, so if you want to keep that passage open in front of you as we work through it, that would be great. But I want to start with this question of, well, here's this, hear this phrase, God is the, is the bringer of, God is the bringer of, how would you finish that sentence? God is the bringer of justice, peace, mercy, all true and good things, perhaps things that are running through our minds at the moment, given everything that's going on. But I wonder if you'd ever describe God as the one who brings laughter. Because that's what I think this passage shows us this afternoon. So I'm, I'm sure we'd all agree that laughter is a really good thing. One of my favorite movies is a movie called Patch Adams. Uh, one of my favorite actors, Robin Williams, is in it. It's a great movie. It's actually based on a true story about a guy called Hunter Adams. He was a medical doctor in the US, really smart guy. I actually believed that laughter was the, the key uh, resource to human well-being and recovery from illness. It's a great movie. It's well worth a watch. But I, like, I know a lot of medical students in the room. We're gonna. I'm not going to get into the science of it all. But I'm sure you'll all agree that laughing is a good thing. Laughter is a desirable thing. We do feel better when we laugh a lot, when we laugh together with other people. Like, I love to have a good laugh all the time. And I've really recently realized that I'm on the edge of the so-called promised land into the world of dad jokes. As my daughters start growing up, uh, it's slightly worrying because I actually find some of these dad jokes quite funny. You know, which days are the strongest? Saturday and Sunday, the rest are weekdays. Uh, I used to hate facial hair, but then it grew on me. Le less so on my, my type of Asian face, but you know, it's, it's still a good one. How about it? Two guys walked into a bar, the third guy ducked. <laughs> I, I, just, I just love it. Like, this is hard because I'm not in the room. I have no idea how this went down. We're probably all groaning, but but you get the point. It's infectious. Laughing is infectious. When somebody is roaring with laughter, you start smiling along. You're curious to know. Things that trend and catch a lot of views online, many of them are because they make people laugh. Think about the relationships we have with our closest friends. We often say they're the people we can have a laugh about anything over. You don't hear people say, oh, they're my best mate because I argue and fight with them all the time. And that is the thing. Today, I want us to see how God, the covenantal, the relational God, longs for us to laugh. He loves to see his people flowing with laughter from now into eternity. That is the God we worship. And I'm not talking here about a light-hearted laughter that lasts for a moment. You know, superficial laughter that comes off the back of some corny dad jokes. This is laughter that comes from a deep sense of joy rooted in God. In both chapter 17, which we saw a few weeks ago, today's passage, you may have noticed there's lots of language of laughing and laughter. And that's the idea I want us to pick up on. And my hope is that this would bring us to find joy in God, the same joy that brings Sarah to laugh. 
Now, it's been a couple of weeks, so let me remind you where we've got to. Abraham has just heard this immense covenant promise from God for the third time in chapter 17, where God said, look, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And if Abraham had to remind it yet again, God now makes it so clear. Look, my promise is going to prevail. I will make you a great nation. I'll give you a land and I'll bless you. And this time he seals it with this costly, permanent sign of circumcision that we saw. So this is this is now chapter 18 coming after the high of that. It seems quite soon after. Abraham still might be a bit sore after circumcision. And there he's sitting in front of the tent. And we get this visit from these three mysterious men. In chapter 17, verse 1, God appears to Abraham to proclaim his covenant again to him. In chapter 18, verse 1 here, the Lord again appears to Abraham, but in a far more mysterious and intimate setting. They're back in Mamre. That is on the cusp of the promised land. We saw that in Genesis 13. This is where Lot, his nephew, went off towards Sodom and Gomorrah. That's going to be important for next week, so keep an eye on that. But here the Lord comes to visit Abraham again, right on the cusp of the promised land. But why so soon after? Why do these three mysterious visitors again appear in the heat of day? It's a strange time for people to be out and about. Now we're going to dive in in a moment. There's a couple of things I just want to clear up about this passage before we go into it. The first thing is this about the three visitors. Often people think in the Bible, oh, the number three, and they jump straight to the Trinity. But I just want us to be careful with how to read this passage. I think one of the three is definitely God. It is Yahweh. The covenant of God who is appearing in a visible form, a little bit like the angel of the Lord we saw a few weeks ago. If you like big Bible words, this is called a theophany. Theos from the word for God, phanos from the word for light or bringing to light. So this is God appearing in a special way so that he is visible and meetable. So that Abraham and Sarah will be able to experience and encounter the presence of God more intensely in this world for a short while. But it's not quite like God when he appears fully in the flesh permanently as the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a foreshadowing of what is to come. So it's clear to us here that one of the three is God appearing in a visible form. But who are the other two then? And that's what we find out later next week when these two angels then go from here to Sodom and Gomorrah to go and meet Lot. While the Lord, while the Lord Yahweh remains to keep talking to Abraham. So what we see is that three visitors here is God accompanied by two angels who come to meet with Abraham and Sarah. The second thing is, it's not entirely clear if Abraham knows immediately whether this is God or not. And I think the writers made this deliberately vague. It's like one of those movies you know, where you're watching it and we all know who the characters are, but the characters in the movie don't. For spoiler alert, it's like everyone knows, oh, Batman is Bruce Wayne or Superman is Clark Kent. But you see, we all know that watching the movie, but everyone else in the, in the movie doesn't seem to get it. And there are moments when you think, oh, you're so close to finding out, or they almost seem like they do know. And you realize they don't until you get that unmasking moment and then they're like oh and we're like yeah you finally get it and this scene plays out a little bit like that we know in verse one it's clearly it's the lord coming to visit abraham but the context seems to suggest that abraham doesn't immediately get that that's why he prepares a meal in this way i think the my lord in verse three it could be read as lord like adonai master that's sometimes used for God, but I think most would read it as the NIV does here, my Lord, in the sense of Abraham speaking in deference to another person. That's how we're going to read this passage, I think. That's how it makes the most sense. So it's hopefully cleared up a few details for us before we look deeper into what's going on. And here, as we look deeper, there's just two things that I want us to see. Here's the first thing. Hospitality 
is important for laughter. Hospitality is important for laughter. See, when you heard this passage being read out, did you get a sense that Abraham is an, actually a really great host? He shows immense hospitality. Think about, think about this, going to a, a restaurant for the first time. What do you look for in a good restaurant? You know, there's restaurants that you're gonna give a good TripAdvisor review for. I personally think there are four things. First is you wanna be really well welcomed. The second is service. The third is the speed of delivery of the food. And the fourth is the quality. How good does it taste? <clears throat> well, look at Abraham's welcome here. Verse 2. He bows low to the ground in deference. <coughs> and then he seeks their favor. He says, don't pass me by. Come in, come in. You've got to come in. He calls one of them, my Lord. He treats them with such res respect and deference. Just imagine after the service this afternoon, you walk into McDonald's, if that floats your boat. You walk in there. And as you do, the employees with their, you know, McDonald's badges and stuff, they start bowing down to you as you enter. And they start saying to you, we found favor in your eyes. Come and try our new double Big Mac meal. You would, you would think that's so weird. Particularly in Western context, that is so alien to us. But yeah, would you not feel really welcomed and honored? You'd feel quite special. That is what Abram is modeling here. But then check out the service. It's not just the food, but he, he wants to wash their hands and their feet. He wants to provide shelter and rest for them. He wants to provide a whole refreshment for their bodies, their minds and their hearts. Remember, it's midday. It's really hot out in the open. Abraham sees their need and he's attentive. He's so attentive that even after he serves them food, in verse 8, he stood nearby waiting to serve them. And we sort of get that, don't we? We see those reviews. The food was great, but the service was terrible. I'm not going back. Service really matters to us. We want to be treated well and cared for in terms of hospitality. And then there's the third thing, the speed of service. Did you notice the number of hurrying words that you get? There's a lot of running around. He says to Sarah, look quick, bake this bread. He's running around trying to get all the food ready. See, when you're tired and hungry and you're sitting in a restaurant, you, you smell the food and you're seeing all these other people getting served and you still haven't got it. What, what happens? Hanger. Hanger comes. And as adults, we're all like, oh, we're cool about it. Oh, I can control it. Oh, well, I'm sure the food will come soon. But in all honesty, sometimes I look at my toddler and I think I wish I could be like her. Where's my food? <sighs> you start crying. The speed of service really matters. And then there's the quality. Abram says to them in verse five, look, let me get you something to eat. Literally a morsel of bread. It's like our phrase, you know, come in and have a bite. A little something. But then Abram's rushing around asking Sarah to bake bread. Three sears, 16 kilos. That's about 30 loaves of bread. And it's made, it's not just the quantity, it's the quality. It's made with the finest flour. These are like the bake-off flour ingredients. The best of the best. And then there's the calf. Sure, it's not a whole cow, but a whole calf for three people? In verse 7 again, it's the choice, tender calf. This isn't just chewy meat leftovers and offcuts. This is the fillet steak, the best cut possible. Sorry for you vegetarians, but actually don't worry, because he also goes on to provide curds and milk as well. There is so much. This is not just a morsel of bread. This is a feast with all of the finest ingredients. As people in this country say, it's an awesome spread of food. I mean, you look at this and you think, TripAdvisor, 4.8, 4.9. Here's the thing that Abram shows. Abram shows his wholehearted generosity and hospitality. 
and he delights in doing it. Verse 5, let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant, it's as though Abraham saying, look, this is why you've come so I can host you and refresh you. See, Abraham is creating the setting of hospitality so that they can share, enjoy and be refreshed. It's the perfect setting for laughter for everyone gathered there. You can picture them all enjoying their food and drink together outside this tent. And that's the thing, I think for all of us, whether, whether you're someone who, who follows Jesus or not, we get that hospitality really matters. We love good hospitality. It's a billion pound industry around the world. It, seems, it feels like it's woven into the fabric of our lives as human beings. We love places and spaces that provide good hospitality because we know that's often the setting where we can laugh together with those we love. Those are the days, those moments that we look forward to, the photos that we post to Instagram, store in the cloud or whatever. And this is all because hospitality is a God-given setting for laughter. God designed us to commune together. Right at the beginning, God hosted the first humans in the garden to enjoy the food he created and provided. Hospitality is always meant to be a source of joy and laughter that God has designed. This idea of eating together is all over scripture. And humans, as those made in God's image, we long for this hospitality and this, you know, hashtag good times with those we love because it's rooted and found in our creator, in God. That's how God has wired us. But notice hospitality doesn't just involve having good food and good laughs. It's an act of service towards God. Abraham doesn't realize that's exactly that's what he's doing. But Jesus helps us to understand this. The value of hospitality in Matthew chapter 25. He reminds us, look, how hospitality is evidence of those who are the children of Abraham, the children of God, of those who follow Christ. Jesus says there, truly, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The writer of the Hebrews challenges the early church in, in much the same way. They probably have Genesis 18 in mind as they write in Hebrews 13 verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing. This is exactly what Abraham is showing us here. His overflowing care, his generosity, his attentiveness. He doesn't realize it, but that is exactly the hospitality he's showing to these angels and to the Lord himself. God's people are called to be hospitable to others as an act of service to Christ. It actually reflects God's wholehearted hospitality to us, who invites the least of us, those who are the enemies of God, to come and feast with him at his table. And here we see Abraham. He's the father of blessing for many nations. The one who God establishes this great covenant with, displaying this wholehearted hospitality that is a God-centered setting for laughter and joy. So look, here's a quick question for us. Where could we be more hospitable in our lives? As children of Abraham in Christ, for those who follow Jesus, how can we reflect the wholehearted hospitality that Abraham, our forefather, displays here? People in London can sometimes find this hard to do. Diaries get packed and busy. But be bold, be intentional. Maybe in your heart right now, pray. Look around the room, look to your right and your left. Look at the people you know, the people you don't know, and you think, how could I be serving them today? Think about our situation now in London with the Ukraine, with news of you know, refugees possibly being able to come over here. Is that something we could be praying for? And notice this, it doesn't have to be an extravagant meal. I don't think that's the point of this, this hospitality here. The challenge is that you serve 
wholeheartedly as Abraham does, as though he's serving the Lord, with the attention and the care that Abraham shows. That's the first thing. Hospitality is important for laughter. But here's a deeper thing. Look, the hospitality isn't the main point of the passage. If you're worried about that, where's my going with this? It's just the setting. This passage takes us beyond the setting of hospitality to the very source of laughter. With God, the laughter isn't just found <coughs> in the company and the food. <coughs> excuse me. And the food is not just in the stuff that you see laid out before your eyes on the table. Do you know what's surprising? Often in the Bible, when God establishes or reaffirms his covenant, his promises, it is often found in the setting of a meal, in the setting of hospitality. We see that with Noah, when Noah sets up a sacrifice after the flood, and God, he says he loves the aroma of the sacrifice. We see that here, after the confirmation of the covenant in Genesis 17, God comes to sit down and have a meal with Abraham. We see it again in Exodus 24. This is a stunning scene. Just after the covenant has been ratified with Moses, after the Exodus, after they come out of Egypt, Moses, Aaron and three high priests, along with 70 elders, head up Mount Sinai and they sit down and have this feast with God, with Yahweh. And we see it again in the upper room on the night before crucifixion, where Jesus sits down to have a meal with his disciples as he establishes the new covenant in his body and blood. See, why does God create these settings of hospitality when he establishes and confirms covenants? Because these settings of intimate relational hospitalities is often where God wants us to see the true source of laughter that is found in the promise of God. That's a setting that God has set up for us to enjoy. Because the promise of God is the very source of our laughter. That is what he wants us to see. See, the early church was mad about hospitality. In Acts 2, you see how they ate and shared together all the time because it was a setting for them to remind and be reminded of God's promises in the gospel for one another. I'm amazed at the times when God has used hospitality as a setting for others to speak into my life or into the life of our family that has been such a blessing where conversations have reminded us of God's goodness and his promises or have challenged us of our sin and point us back to Christ. And that is exactly what happens here for Abraham and Sarah. This setting of hospitality here is where they find their deepest source of blessing that is going to bring them permanent laughter in the I will of God. See, throughout this scene of immense hospitality that we saw, the writer has actually sprinkled it with seasonings of references to God to keep our gaze, our thoughts and our hearts towards him. So remember how Abraham bows low to the ground and seeks favour? That is often the language used of worship to God. It's the same word. The animals here of sacrifice, the sort of fine flower. These are details and items picked up later in the sacrificial language of Leviticus after the covenant with Moses. The language of Lord, as I said before, it hints at this divine encounter where a divine blessing is about to be reconfirmed. See, even though Abraham doesn't seem to realise this is God, his hospitality is becoming the perfect setting for the unique and great blessing of God for Abraham and Sarah to be reminded of the great I will of God. So after they finish this meal, the conversation starts. And this is where we find out the real reason has, that God has come again to commune with Abraham. Verse 9, where is your wife Sarah? See, God has come to find Sarah. 
this is quite significant because so far we know a few things about Sarah. We know Sarah's married to Abram. We know she spent a lot of time in Pharaoh's palace when they were down in Egypt. We know that she mistreated, ill-treated Hagar terribly. who went on to bear a son for Abraham. And we know that they don't really get on very well at all. We know she's 90 years old, she's barren and she's childless. It's not been a great time for her, really. So far, the, the promises God has made have been to Abraham. But now, to clear up any confusion, God makes it really clear. Your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, verse 10. This promise is going to fulfill, be fulfilled not just through Abraham, but his wife, Sarah, is a part of this promise too. Now, Abraham knew this from chapter 17, verse 19. He's heard it before. But Sarah is now hearing it from God himself. See, she's tucked behind the entrance of the tent, and she's overhearing this conversation between Abraham and the Lord. But as she hears this, just imagine how she would have felt. She hears this promise, but then she looks at herself in the mirror and she sees her age. But I'm 90. She takes her hands and begins to rub her womb, sensing the barrenness she's endured for her entire life. She looks at her husband, an old, aging man. He's almost 100. He's knackered and sweating from running around serving all this food. How are we going to have a child? And all she can do is laugh. Have you ever had those days when... Just about everything that can go wrong goes wrong. It seems so ridiculous that all you can do is laugh. It's like you wake up late for an interview because you've got to set an alarm. So you turn up there, you're late already and it goes terribly and you don't get a job. You're flustered now. Your mind is elsewhere when you get off the bus and you, there you've lost your wallet. You've left it behind. But you think, oh, it's okay. I've got my phone. I can pay. Apple Pay. Well, then your phone battery dies. And then it starts to rain and you've got your umbrella because you rushed out the house. And then you discover now there's a hole in your foot as you step in a puddle. And at this point, you either cry or you just laugh. It's a laugh of despair. But all you can do is just look at your state and laugh. How have I got to this? The thing is, I wonder if you've come in this afternoon feeling that way. I'm sure you've at moments life found yourself to that point where all you can do is laugh it's laughter of despair there are no words to describe how to respond your tear ducts are on empty and all you have left is laughter you look around the world today perhaps and, you, and it brings you to weep to wonder where is the goodness of god among the evil of the world among these fallen leaders among the tyrants among the abusers this is how sarah feels as she hears this problem I can't see it. I look around, no way, you've got to be kidding. This can't be happening. This cannot be true. All she can do is laugh to herself. <clears throat> you see, at this point in the story, the promise of God brings laughter, but this isn't a laughter of joy. It's a laughter of disbelief and despair at her situation. This cannot happen, surely, at my age. But then, but then she catches a glimpse of who it is that's speaking. This is the unmasking moment in the story. She's standing behind Abraham in the tent. She hears the Lord then ask Abraham, <clears throat> why did Sarah laugh? Verse 12 makes it clear she hadn't laughed out loud. She laughed to herself. So how did he know? But hang on, how does he even know my name? This stranger. See, Abraham at this point is probably clocking who this is. 
He's heard God say this to him already a number of times, that Sarah will bear a child, a son called Isaac in a year's time. He said that in chapter 17. So here is the all-knowing, all-seeing God who has come in this intimate hospitality setting to confirm this to Sarah herself, where his I will is made clear, not just to Abraham, but to Sarah now as well. And as the penny begins to drop as to who is speaking, fear starts to take over. But if there's any doubt in her mind, then she and Abraham hear these words of comfort in verse 14. Do you hear it? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Impossible is nothing. Impossible is nothing. It's a great slogan. You know where that's from, right? It's Adidas. But you know what? I think they nicked that from God. Because I thought about it. It doesn't make sense for us humans. There are loads of things out there that are, are completely impossible for us. And wearing Adidas shoes or clothes isn't going to change that, I'm sorry to say. As much as I love Adidas. It doesn't work. But for God, impossible is nothing. Totally makes sense. Because impossible is not even a category that exists for him. So, you know, whenever you see these Adidas adverts, I want you to think of this scene. To remember, ah, that, they're speaking of God. To remember God, impossible is nothing for him. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And this is the beauty of God's word, the richness of it. See, that word for hard here, it actually carries two meanings. One of those is that it is impossible, but the other is that it is wonderful. So you could read this as nothing is too wonderful for the Lord to achieve. Because for Sarah, there will come a day when her laughter of disbelief at the impossible will turn into laughter of deep joy found in the wonder of God's promise. Where one day she will hold the promised son in her arms. See, the humour in this is, is that in chapter 18, God never mentions to Sarah what the name of her son will be. He told Abraham in chapter 17, but he doesn't hear because he's already on the lips of Sarah. Isaac, Isaac, which means he laughs. She may not know it, but the words of laughter she's saying and echoing will become the words she speaks in a year's time. Because on that day, just a few chapters later in chapter 21, she's going to stare into the eyes of her baby boy and she's going to say, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Every time she calls for her son Isaac, she's going to remember, God has brought me laughter. See, nothing is impossible for God. Even if you feel like your life is filled with laughter of despair, or you're feeling weary, wavering belief, God will make sure our sorrow turns to laughter. Our laughter of disbelief will turn to laughter found in the joy and wonder of his promise. Why? Because you see, many thousands of years after Sarah, there comes another baby, who was again born in unbelievable circumstances, a boy given to a virgin, conceived by God the Spirit, where Mary has to ask, but how can this happen? And the messenger of God says to her, look, the Holy Spirit will come to you. And the power of the Most High, El Oyin, you've heard that already in Genesis 14, will come and overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And he goes on, For No word from God will ever fail, which can also be translated, No thing from God will ever fail, or impossible is nothing. And this baby born to Mary is the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of Isaac, the very seed that is promised by God, who comes to fulfill the covenant that is established with Abraham and again with Isaac in chapter 17, will come to bring laughter to many. 
See, but even in Mary's womb, as Mary and her sister Elizabeth meet, the same Elizabeth that Alice mentioned at the start of the service, the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumps for joy just by being in the presence of Jesus. And as this baby is born and grows into a man, he comes proclaiming these words. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Luke chapter 6. And he could say these words and mean them, because in a short while after that, he would go on to fulfill the promise of God. The great I will, that will bring that deep joy that leads to laughter, that deep joy found only in Christ, the joy found in the one who comes to overcome the deepest sorrow we face in death, to overcome it with the wonder of eternal life who says no matter what sorrows you face, what wrongs you've committed, what sins you're gripped by, I've nailed them to the wonderful cross to bring you to freedom and forgiveness, who brings joy and laughter at the wonder of life as an eternal child of God, as a descendant of Abraham himself. Just imagine, just imagine how his followers must have felt when they saw the tomb empty, when they saw the resurrected Jesus like children laughing at the greatest news possible, the joy of seeing their great friend, their Lord, their Saviour, greeting them with open arms. Imagine the joy and the laughter they would have felt there. And do you realise that same joy, that laughter, is what we will have in eternity as we sing and dance of God, fulfilling his promise from Abraham to Isaac to Jesus as we stand before the risen Lord himself. And this starts right here with God's promise to Abraham. The promise that will bring laughter out of sorrow for Sarah. I will give you a son and through him I will bring you laughter. Sarah at this point had no idea that her laughs now would go on to echo into eternity because of Jesus. Look, guys, let's, let's land this. Are you feeling heavy hearted today? Have you come here this afternoon in feeling weighty, feeling sorrow or despair, where, where you feel all you can do is just laugh at your situation, wondering why things are happening in your life as they are? Are you gripped by your circumstances? Do you feel trapped in the anxieties of the world around you? Or are you oppressed by the vices of sin that you can't seem to break that weigh so heavily on your soul that are crushing you to utter despair? Then hear God say to you, look, nothing is too hard for me. See the wonder of how he fulfills his promise in Sarah through a child. See the glory of how God, through his promise, brings about the greater child who comes to say, look, every word of God will come to pass. It will not fail. See the wonder of Jesus who says that your sins are forgiven. Because in Christ, I can tell you, if you are trusting him, those words are true. See the wonder of Jesus who says that as we wait for that final day, there will come a day when those who weep and mourn will come to laugh into eternity. Cling to the very source of laughter, that is Jesus. Keep trusting in the one who makes what seems impossible wonderful, who gives life in certain death, who gives forgiveness in certain judgment, who brings laughter in sorrow. And let's keep reminding one another and telling each other of God's promise. Let's do this by being hospitable to one another, inviting one another, by creating those God-given settings, laughter through hospitality. Let's be quick to welcome, to invite, to share, to listen and to laugh together. And as we laugh together, let's be reminded of Isaac, of Abraham, 
be reminded of Sarah and her joy. Let's remind one another of how all this laughter, this hospitality is a foretaste of what is to come in the laughter we will have in, the, in eternity through God's promise in God's hospitality as we feast together with him all because of Jesus. And for those of you who aren't following Jesus, do you long to have a life filled with laughter? What I mean is deep joy, not just superficial laughter that you have to keep searching for again, but deep joy that brings deep laughter again and again, that permanent source of joy that comes from the promise of God. And come to him, come to the one, one who comes to bring us laughter into eternity. God doesn't only provide the context of laughter and hospitality, but he gives the deepest and greatest source of laughter and joy found in his son, the one who came for you. The one who came to take the weight over your life, the weight on your heart that comes from sin and he places it on his shoulders and bears them on the cross for you. The one who invites you to trust him and says, look, I'm inviting you to this eternal banquet table where God as host welcomes people from every nation, tongue and tribe to feast and to laugh together with deep, eternal joy. So will you trust Jesus for that? Nothing is too hard for God to do. So may we all find that deep joy in him alone, in God and his promise found in Christ. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that you are the God who brings laughter. Father, for those of us who are feeling sorrowed, weary, weighty, Father, would we look to your great I will, to your promise that we see here in the promise to Abraham and to Sarah, in the promise of Isaac. He laughs. The son who will bring laughter, not just to Abraham and to Sarah, but to us in eternity. As he points forward to the great I am, to the great son who is to come, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring permanent and eternal laughter through everything he did and achieved through his life, his death, and his resurrection for us. Father, would we find laughter in him? We pray this, trusting him as our Lord, our Saviour, the bringer of joy in our lives. Amen.